Kirk Cousins he has pushed himself to a higher level, and I think it's going to continue into 2020. Oh, baby. I can't believe I just saw you pick Kirk Cousins. I mean, the love-hate continues. I love him. He's your guy. Follow him. I love him not. Kirk Cousins is kind of a dork. I love him. I don't think the gap right now between Kirk Cousins and Patrick Mahomes is as broad as people would think it is. I love him not. Shanahan says you've got the right quarterback there. Not everybody can see that. <laughs> you know, he's right about that. But <laughs> oh yeah, this is my. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty that was good. From Last week's draft of the best players in the NFC North. We're looking at the NFC South today with a draft preview and then a draft of the best players from that division. That's coming up over the course of the next hour. Chris, it's a Monday edition, day after Easter, PFT Live. I hope you and your family and everybody out there who celebrates Easter, I hope you had as as good a day as you could under the strangest circumstances that I think we've ever celebrated a major holiday in this country. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely the weirdest weirdest Easter I've ever been associated with. Just my immediate family. You know, it was sad, yeah, not to have, you know, my mother and father and my sister and her family and my brother and, you know, his fiance. You know, it did not feel like a complete Easter Sunday. And, you know, there's a part of me that kind of wishes maybe we had them here and did that, like, whole thing where maybe they were all, like, we were all 30 feet away from each other in the backyard or something like that, but... Still very thankful for what I do have. Enjoyed the day with my kids and my wife, of course. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's different times, and it, it takes some getting used to. And, yeah, it was a little empty place in my heart yesterday without the rest of my family. Yeah, I tell you, it was a strange day. Um, and, and, and at moments like that, when you're used to having a lot of people around, you're used to having a big gathering, and that's been taken away. Look, I, I'm sure there are people out there who defied the stay-at-home orders and did all sorts of things they shouldn't have done yesterday. And shame on those who did, because the rest of us who complied made a sacrifice. And it's one thing to make that sacrifice day in and day out when we're going about our business. It's another thing on one of those days when you're accustomed to having family around and you make that sacrifice, knowing that other people aren't, makes it even more aggravating and at times infuriating, Chris. Yeah, you're right. It does. Uh, And, you know, I just, again, I don't know why anybody... At this time, you know, point in time right here, why, why you wouldn't respect some of the things and precautions that are putting being put forth, you know, by our government, statewide, whatever federal it may be. Listen to the experts. You know, we're doing we, we're seeing we're doing we're doing great. We're moving things in the right direction. But, you know, the fight's not over yet. We got to keep fighting the good fight here. I mean, this is something that could come back and bite us all in the butt if we get you know relaxed and loose here. And all of a sudden, two months from now, we're in a worse spot than we were, ever were to begin with. So, you know, I just hope everybody can uh, practice patience, hang in there. I know it's not easy. Just be disciplined and know that it, it's the greater good. And you know what's going to happen? These measures, these extreme measures that most of us are complying with are going to be effective. They are going to save lives. And then the morons who were downplaying it in January, February, and March are going to say, see, yeah, we, we, you all overreacted, right? No. We properly reacted, and it saved lives, and that's the key, and that's why everyone needs to continue to comply with state and local orders to stay at home and federal guidelines for how to properly assemble if and when you have the opportunity to do so in a way that complies 
with state and local stay-at-home orders where applicable. All right, speaking of rules and rulemaking, the competition committee via conference call last week setting the table for the rules recommendations that will be made to ownership. And there continues to be a misconception in the media that the competition committee has some great power to set rules. No, the owners still make the decisions, Chris, and there are plenty of times where the owners ignore a recommendation made by the competition committee, and there have been times where the owners will say, you didn't make this recommendation, we're going to go ahead and craft our own rule. It comes down to what the owners want to do. The competition committee just helps set the table. The owners can eat whatever meal they want, and I think it's important to keep that in mind because at some point in May, there will or there won't be changes to the NFL's rules for 2020. Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're right. And, you know, the owners, of course, have the final say, you know. And, and of course, the big news this weekend was the pass, interfer- pass interference replay review. You know, what's being done there or what's not being done. And, you know, when I saw that, I was very interested because I said, oh, I know this guy who lives in West Virginia who seems to get his blood boiled very easily on this topic. So what's he going to say Monday morning? So what say you, sir, lead off the debate and how you feel about this? I thought it was very curious how the competition committee and the NFL handled the announcement because there was no announcement that there will be no recommendation of an extension of pass interference replay review. And there was no announcement that there will be no recommendation of the use of a sky judge by the competition committee. They were just silent. So you had to figure it out. You had to look at it and say, hmm, okay, here's what they're recommending. Hmm, okay, what does that mean? Oh, here's what it means. They're recommending that we go back to pre-2019 procedures for pass interference, meaning the same system that was in place when the Rams-Saints pass interference debacle late in the NFC Championship game in January of 2019, those systems are in place again. So we are just hoping that the officials on the field who are mainly trying not to be trampled by the gladiators and trying to see with the naked eye things that are moving so fast, you can't necessarily see them in real time. We're going to trust them to make these decisions with no safety net, with no fallback, with no protection, and uh, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. There was a report that the competition committee was getting behind the idea of Sky Judge, and that just it's just gone. It's just no yeah. discussion. Now, a couple of teams, the Ravens and the Chargers, have recommended on their own something that would simulate this concept of Sky Judge, although the rules are still somewhat incomplete. But rarely, if ever, do the proposals made by the teams get voted into existence by the owners. Those proposals, if they were deemed good enough by the competition committee, they'd have that seal of approval of the competition committee, which makes it more likely they're going to pass through and be adopted. So I don't care that you've got a couple of teams proposing it. You need to have the competition committee behind it, Chris, or it's going to be hard to make it happen. And now we just hope that the owners, when it's time to have a meeting on this, say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're you're suggesting that we go back to the way things were? When when they, when one of the worst controversies ever happened, when the entire city of New Orleans checked out of the Super Bowl and it affected the ratings nationwide because New Orleans boycotted the Super Bowl and had a parade instead. Is that what you're suggesting? And maybe the owners will step up and say, sorry, this isn't acceptable. Let the folks who write the checks take the take the wheel on this one. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I feel confident that they're going to do that. I mean, one, I am surprised by this. OK, certainly. 
you know, you're right. It was the biggest debacle in, in modern NFL history, maybe ever in the Super Bowl era, as far as what happened and the worst call we've ever seen. Now, I could also sit here and argue that, yes, it was the worst call we've ever seen in, you know, 53 years of a Super Bowl era at that point, And we had never had it happen like that, too. Now, one, I'm with you, Mike. I mean, I would like to see something done, but it just doesn't seem like anything's well thought out. And if it's between what we had last year and going back to the old way, well, sign me up for the old way because last year sucked. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I don't know what pass interference was, wasn't, conferences on the field, you know, uh, stoppage of play for too long sometimes because we're not sure what to call here or whatever it may be. You know, it, I didn't like it last year. I thought it took from the flow of the football game. It made games longer. It made it more controversial for the NFL in general as a whole to begin with, just because, like we always talked about, the 50 guys in a bar type test, you know, you walked away from a, a pass interference play and you went, I don't know. I don't know. You know, 40 guys in the bar think it's pass interference. 20 don't or 10 don't. You know, the next call, it's 25-25. We had a hard time in our control room at NBC are, you know, uh, coming to a consensus at times. So if, it, if it's between the way it was and the way it was last year, I'd rather go back to the way it was because last year was even more of a debacle. Yeah, the biggest problem last year was determining what the standard really was. Right. And at one point, Al Riveron, the senior VP of officiating, made it clear he was going to watch that video. And if he saw clear and obvious evidence of contact when there wasn't a ruling on the field of pass interference that, that substantially altered or what, there, there was a, a weird formula that, that made it look like the bar was going to be low. And then once we got into the regular season, the bar went high. And then the bar went low. And then the bar went high. And it really did get to the point. We joked about it, but I, I mean this. You, you, you had better luck shaking a magic eight ball to get the ruling than you did waiting to see what the final decision was going to be because you never knew what standard applied that week. So I agree with you. What happened last year was not as poorly conceived as it was poorly executed. What right. is the standard and how will it be applied? But, Chris, nothing is not acceptable either. I'm hoping that what they're going to do is what I've kind of suggested as the off the books, don't ask, don't tell, just go ahead and do it. Have our river on ready in the most egregious situations. Know it when you see it. Another Ram Saints situation. That's when you press the button, you talk to the official at the game site, and you say, drop a flag now. What? Just don't ask. Drop a flag now. And then... You correct it that way. Even though that's not how they're supposed to use that pipeline, use it as your fallback. Break glass in event of emergency. That may be the only way to make it work. Because if Riveron would have done that, Chris, in January 2019, we'd have avoided 15 months of stress and confusion and, oh, my gosh, and how do we fix it? If he had simply said, drop a flag, it was clear, it was indisputable, it was going to be it's going to be one of the biggest controversies we ever deal with if we don't fix it let's do it so whoever's in that job needs to know when is the right time to shatter that glass and declare an emergency and fix it and not worry if anyone ever finds out that you did well yeah i mean listen i, I like what you're saying okay i want it to be more than one person to have to be able to shatter the glass because to me it's still too much of a flip of the coin if it's just one person 
You know, Mike, how many But if it's the right person, the right person will know. If it's the right person, they will know. You don't need three people to tell you Nicole Roby Coleman blew up Tommy Lee Lewis before the ball arrived. Okay, yes, you're right. And you know it in the moment. You don't need because if you're gonna break the rules, you don't wanna have you don't wanna have a committee on when to properly break the rules. It has to be done with some degree of discretion. Well, okay. I mean, you know, they need to find a way then to make it part of the rules, though, if that's the case. But the big thing is, Mike, is where's that line? I mean, how many games did we watch with the great Tony Dungy and Rodney Harrison last year and Mike Tirico? I mean, I can think of that. What was it? The DeAndre Hopkins versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? No, no. I'm thinking of the Mike Evans 49ers play early in the year. I mean, we all watched that and went, oh, my gosh, that's past interference they're they're gonna have to do something here i mean that was blatant nothing happened so i think there we are if you or me were back at 345 park avenue some of those times we would have broke the glass and said drop the flag code red code red drop the flag drop the flag code red code red but 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 it didn't happen so i don't know who i trust (laughs) i think they're looking for something more than that and also i think it's 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 an issue of circumstance too it's having an appreciation of how big the moment is and how okay. big the game is. And if it's and look, this this is horribly unfair from a competitive balance standpoint because you want that game that's played at one o'clock Eastern on Sunday to be every bit as important as the Sunday night game. But at the same time, you have to understand and, and so many of these procedures are driven by PR. What's going to create the biggest mess? What's going to create the biggest mess is a bad call made at a horrible time in a game that everyone's watching. And that's when you have to know this is a moment where you have to get on that that communication device and say, drop the flag. So, I, look, there's no easy solution here. And and I think that, that it comes down to having the right person in that job to know when to do it and to know when not to do it. And reasonable minds can differ on whether or not Al Riveron is the right person for that type of a role. Some would say, write the check to bring back Dean Blandino that's not a topic for discussion today, although at some point down the road, it may be. Let's take a break. We want to focus on the NFC South. When we return, what does every team in that division need to get in the 2020 draft? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Oh, Tom Brady. I never understood why Drew wasn't making Drew Orleans shirts. That's in response to the effort to have trademark protection for the phrases Tampa Bay, stupid, and Tampa Brady, also stupid, for use in merchandising, including clothing, headwear, and footwear. And and I hope that what Brady's doing here, Chris, I really hope that this is aimed at preventing others from selling these items of merchandise and others already are trying to sell Tampa Brady stuff. Sometimes you get that trademark so you can shut people down who are trying to do it, but you have to say that you intend to do it in order to get the trademark. But this, this hopefully is a defensive mechanism and we're not going to see Tampa Brady uh, or Tampa Bay or any combination of puns on the name Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Uh, although, Hey, if people buy it, what the hell it's capitalism, go make your money. All right. Tom Brady's now in uh Tampa Bay, not New Orleans, almost said New Orleans. The four teams in the NFC South will be drafting next week. Let's start with the Saints. The Saints can't leave the draft without what, Chris? Well, to me, you know, again, the Saints are one of the better organized, orchestrated football rosters in the whole league right now. 
there's not a lot of huge glaring needs. I mean, to me, it comes down to two things, Mike. Maybe you got a different view here, but it would be either linebacker or pass rusher, I think, at the end of the day. You know, and the more I look at it, the more I want to say pass rusher. Um, you know, and I know they have Marcus Davenport, but he's been injured a lot through the first few years of his career. He hasn't really performed up to where I think they were hoping as far as trading first round picks to get him. Cam Jordan's getting up there in age. You know, that would be an area I would look at. It's either that or a middle linebacker. And, you know, again, they're sitting in the spot at number 24 in the first round where there could be some middle linebackers that certainly make a difference for their football team. I guess I would say if you had equal on both sides, I would rather the pass rusher uh, right now for a team that, you know, again, has had moments of being somewhat average on pass defense. This would help them just get there with the front four, not blitz. But I look at pass rusher more than anything as uh, a position I'd like to see them bolster. Yeah, and to the extent that you're in a division with Tom Brady and you're going to face right. him twice this year and next year, you got to get bodies that can get after him and disrupt him, especially if he's going to be holding on to the football a little bit longer than he has in the past because the Bruce Arians offense trying to get the ball down the field. So you always have to view your draft needs through the prism of the teams you play twice per year. And you've got two really good quarterbacks in Matt Ryan and Tom Brady and a guy in Teddy Bridgewater who could end up being very good as well now that he's got a chance to be a starter again after five years uh, as not a starter. So it'll be interesting four years uh, more accurately, uh, not being a starter. It'll be interesting to see what the Saints do there. I think running back is something they need to consider because Latavius Murray has plenty of wear and tear. Alvin Kamara was banged up last year. He's going to want a big right. contract, and they've constantly used that rotation of two and three guys, and I think that that even though Murray was good last year, they lost something when Mark guy to compliment Alvin Kamara and I think you need somebody who can bring more punch over a longer period of time than what Murray can do yeah I, I mean I think you're right you're spot on in a lot of ways there Mike they you know it's an important position to that offense you're right they don't want to lose one of those guys and then go oh man we can't do this on the offensive side of the ball now because we lost Alvin Kamara we don't have a guy we can trust in the past game so uh, I'm not mad at you with that thought and again as we talked about with the running backs in the first hour, you got to be thinking about drafting one every three to four years. You know, the evidence is there now for us to know that after three or four years, most running backs start to go on a big decline as far as their physical ability. And I think it's about the time frame of when you need to start thinking about refreshing, your, you know, that position on your roster. And if you have two or three, they last longer in their NFL careers and maybe you don't have to pay them quite as much because they never become that superstar talent. And they exactly. understand it's in their interest to stretch it out even farther. All right. The Falcons can't leave the draft without what Chris? Well, this is an easy one to me. This is corner cornerback all the way. You know, they've done a good job as far as, you know, adding some splash to their roster and free agency traded for Hayden Hurst, you know, got Dante Fowler in free agency. So they got a big time pass rusher, but I got to look at corner you know, Isaiah Oliver's there right now. Bleedy Ray Wilson. You know, of course, we know Desmond, you know, Trufant's not there. Robert Alford gone. You know, I don't look at them right now and feel warm and cozy about the cornerback position. Isaiah Oliver, a guy they drafted out of Colorado in the second round a few years back. He's been good, but not great. Bleedy Ray Wilson's been a little bit of a career journeyman. You know, to me, that's an area of the football team that I think is, is glaring 
that says they need improvements right there. The defensive line, pretty good. Linebackers, pretty good. Safeties are good when healthy. You know, they've adjusted the O-line. You know, running back, you can debate there. But I think corner, more than anything, is the position I look at. Yeah, and again, this is another one of those needs that is crafted by where you are. You're dealing with the Saints twice a year. You're dealing with Tom Brady now twice a year. And with Trufant gone, a guy they released in the offseason, they're going to need to upgrade there. So I agree with you on that. And offensively, look, I, it's it's not going to hurt to have uh, some more offensive linemen to keep Matt Ryan upright. He missed some time last year. I think he was banged up a little bit, had an ankle problem, missed a game or two. You don't want him right. being injured. You're going to fade from the pack quickly if he's not healthy and ready to go. All right, Buccaneers can't leave the draft without what? Well, it's an offensive tackle. I mean, if you want Tom Brady to play for two more years, you better get a tackle and protect him. I mean, you know. We don't, we don't want Tampa Bay injury or something like that. I mean, that's not what we want. But I, regardless, they need – you know, DeMar Dotson, I think he's still out there as far as free agent. He was their starting right tackle the last two years. And, and maybe I missed it. I'm, I don't think they've re-signed him. But whether they re-signed him or not, they need to draft the position. You know, they just don't have enough depth. They got to prepare for, yeah, a guy like Dotson leaving somewhere here. If they did re-sign him and I'm wrong, I don't think they did to replace them regardless, they need more young talent at the position. And I think that would be the thing uh, that they would address. They need a starting offensive tackle to not only help their, their, their run game, but to protect Brady and have that Bruce Arians, risk it, no biscuit type of mentality. If you want to throw the ball aggressively down the field, you need time to throw the ball aggressively down the field. So that to me is the one that makes the most sense for sure with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, and look, I'm going to focus on the interior offensive line just to have depth, have enough guys, have enough. You, you, with Brady, the concern is up the middle, right? And I understand they need to have tackles too, especially if you're going to hold the ball longer. The pocket's going to collapse more from the outside, and Brady may not be able to step up and move like he once did. It's the arm that will stay. It's the legs that will go away. But you, you don't want to be vulnerable up the middle. We've seen too many times when – when there's been pressure up the middle in Brady's face, that's when you get to him. That's when he starts looking down instead of looking down the field. And the Patriots have done a good job, for the most part, keeping that from happening to him. That's going to be a challenge in Tampa Bay because once that that leak arises in the middle of the offensive line, that's when you have an opportunity to really hamper Tom Brady's effectiveness. All right, the Panthers can't leave the draft without what? Well, I look at them offensively and feel pretty good about them defensively, man, there's some holes. I mean, you lost James Bradbury in, in free agency. Luke Keekley retired. You know, they've lost Vernon Butler uh, and Don Terry Poe as far as defensive tackles. Kawan Short, the other defensive tackle they paid a lot of money to, who was a star just a few years ago, has just been good, not great, the last few years. So I look at D-tackle as being the position that I think they need to upgrade the most. You know, and then, you know, and we, we, I should have hit this with Tampa a minute ago, but with Carolina, where they're sitting at in the first round, you know, they, they should have a pick of the litter as far as the defensive tackle is concerned. I mean, there's two guys that I think stand out for the rest as far as Javon Kinlaw or Brown from Auburn as being the two best defensive tackles in the draft. And I would think for sure one of them is there for Carolina to take in the top 10. But that is certainly a position I look at to go – they don't have enough on the roster right now, let alone, you know, enough good ones. Uh, they need depth and more talent in the position. So D-tackle is where I go, Michael. 
Yeah. Now that they have a new head coach in Matt Rule, who uh, clearly has his vision for how he's going to do things, and they've made major changes at the quarterback position, I think they need a quarterback that they can develop. They don't have to rush him to the field. They're paying Teddy Bridgewater three years, $63 million, but as a practical matter, I think he's got the job for two seasons. Two years, It gives years, you time right. to get a guy ready. You get, you get a guy Matt Rule's comfortable with. That, that can grow and develop and that, that Teddy, you know, look, Teddy, Teddy, I feel bad for Teddy Bridgewater that he'd only be there for two years and then get thrown overboard again. But I almost feel like he's kind of accepted that that's his fate, that he's just going to go wherever he's needed, whenever he's needed. And uh, I think that, that it's time for the Panthers to be thinking about getting a young quarterback that will be that guy who takes over and is there for 10 years or longer. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, um, we're going to take an inside look at the draft setup. That it is at the home of Falcons general manager Thomas Dimitrov. He spoke with Peter King and he shared some insights into what's going on in his home. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. You know, I have three screens on the on the wall here. This front screen, of course, is going to be where well, it's BBC right now, but it's going to be where we are. Um, you know, with the networks. Each side of these these screens are going to be set up with the, you know what would be on the walls in the draft room basically you know needs board um, potentially and where we are with the round by round. Um, by the way, that's has that been has that been set up yet by your IT guy? They are yes, they have done a great job. I'm really proud of where they are right now. Um, we, we made it as clean lines as possible. That's what I appreciate design wise. Anyway, I don't like a whole bunch of clutter. Um, on top of that, but they've made it very clean. We've had we have some basics as far as um, technology, very good technology. But what we didn't do is we didn't add a whole bunch of extra bells and whistles. Um, we want to make sure that we're as clean as possible um, down here. Of course, both both uh, you know AFC and NFC lines are already pre uh, pre programmed. That's you know obviously what we're going to be using to. Uh, do some work, you know, communicating with scouting staff and, you know, Arthur and, and such. So, um, again, you saw this blue, uh, this is what I call my throne. It's the only place in the world that anyone treats me like a king, believe me. No, nowhere else in this world, and definitely not in the, in the media here in Atlanta, but uh, anyway. Um, but, yeah, so it's going to be set up sort of like that. You know, I'm going to be in a situation where we have draft boards are going to be here. Those are 28 inch screens, touch touch screens, so I can operate there. Um, work trades from here, as you can see our, right now, we have the um, round by round stuff up there and, and everything. So uh, really, really excited about the setup here. I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be functioning well. Thomas Dimitrov giving Peter King a look at his setup for the draft and a, a nice little setup there for Thomas Dimitrov. I mean, I, I guess we would expect that he's been the GM of the team since 2008. He's probably what, what's your what's your line, Chris? Can't hide money, right? Can't hide money, can't hide it. And you know <laughs> the one thing I love about Thomas Dimitrov too is he, you know, he's a stylish guy. You know, he's got a real cool style in which he dresses, and you could tell even with how that room was decorated, it was very important to him. Clean lines. He talked about hey, he had the IT guys there, so that's interesting. Uh, his wife and family obviously signed off on that, and I'm sure they had their, did the proper you know precautions. But regardless, Thomas, a great dude, and uh, yeah, it, look, it looks good. I, that's a good setup. I like that throne seat, very plush. 
Yeah, and look, they, they got to do what they got to do uh, to make this effective. It's not about being comfortable. It's about being effective. So if you're not uncomfortable, you're more likely to be effective. And all teams are in the same boat, and all teams are going to have to make those picks. Nothing has changed. Same time limit for every round, and we'll, that's just part of the, the, the intrigue for draft night. The reality show gets more real when there is a possibility that there will be some sort of a glitch that causes a problem. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, now that we've looked at what every NFC South team needs to do in the draft, let's draft the best players currently in the NFC South. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. NFC South has plenty of great teams, plenty of great players. And so we're going to draft the best players from the NFC South, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Saints, and the Falcons. Chris, I've got the trivia question for you. If you get it right, you get the first pick. The four NFC South starting quarterbacks have combined for more passing yards than any other division in football with 210,825. Which division is second? Wow, that is a good one. Okay, hold on. I need a second here. I'm just trying to look at divisions as I do this. Um, ooh, gosh, man. Okay, I'm going to have to say the NFC North. Ba, 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 ba. I, I'm surprised you didn't go straight there with your buddy Aaron Rodgers. You've got Aaron Rodgers, ah. Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins. And now Nick Foles, who's got, you know, a little something he can add to the pile. Yeah, 120,632. Still 90,000 behind the NFC South. But uh, that's uh, that's what they have going on in the NFC North. So you win. You get the first pick. Go ahead. Yep. Well, uh, this is, it, I mean, you know, you look at this, this division and you go, holy cow, there's a lot of star players in this division. It's not, a, you know, it, there's a lot of players you could justify as being the first pick of this draft but I'm gonna go with Michael Thomas as my number one pick I mean Michael Thomas again he, he's just Mr. Dependable Mr. Tough they orchestrate the whole offense around him and his abilities in New Orleans and yeah is he the most explosive receiver in football no he's not but one, one area I know I misevaluated in a guy like Michael Thomas is just his value as far as being tough and physical over the middle constantly, let alone being a great route runner and doing all those things. But he's the marquee player for the marquee offensive schematic game designer in football for Sean Payton. And everything starts with how are you going to get Michael Thomas the ball on a week-to-week basis? Everybody knows he's going to get the ball, and he still delivers. So, yeah, he's... He is the uh, the best receiver in football right now. I got to give him credit for that, and I think he is the best player in the division. Set the single-season record for receptions. A guy who, like you said, we know the ball's going to him. They still get it to him. He still makes the catch. And having Emmanuel Sanders on the Saints this year could take a little heat off of him because you can't ignore yeah. Sanders. You can still double Michael Thomas, but you still have to keep your eyes on the other side of the field, or Sanders will get you. I'm going to stay at the receiver position. And, you know, Peter King said something recently that really opened my eyes as we were looking at records that reasonably could be broken. And Larry Fitzgerald has a chance to break Jerry Rice's record for most career catches. Julio Jones has a chance to break Jerry Rice's record for most career yards. Now, it's going to take several more seasons, 
But he's on a great pace, and he's got like 1,300-plus yards per year on average in his nine-year career. And I, I feel like he doesn't get as much credit as maybe he deserves in large part because he doesn't have a lot of touchdowns, Chris. It's more between the 20s type stuff, and every year it feels like there's this urgency to get him more red zone targets that they never can bring to fruition. And I don't know, maybe maybe defenses cover him a little more carefully because they, they know they're going to try to force him the ball down there. But he has been a yardage machine. He is a great receiver, highest paid receiver, and for me, an easy pick. Once you take Thomas off the board, and it would have been a tough call for me between Thomas and Jones, but Thomas is younger and maybe he gets the edge that way because he's got, you know, if you have him on your team, you got a lot more to count on from him. But right now, I, I think... Julio Jones may not be 1A, but he's definitely 1B from an overall talent standpoint with Thomas. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's more capable of doing sexy, like explosive type things. He's still capable of beating you over the top for a 70-yard bomb or catching a slant and breaking a tackle and running 60 yards for a touchdown. You know, those are things Michael Thomas does not do. That's not his game. Julio Jones, Mike, like, to what you said – He's one of the greatest receivers in the history of the sport. And when we sit here, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to put him in the conversation with Randy Moss and Terrell Owens, uh, uh, you know, right there to go. Is he number two behind Jerry Rice? He's that type of talent. Great route runner, size, physicality, great speed. And Mike really has never really been a part of a great red zone offense to your touchdown conversation. And Matt Ryan's not a great red zone quarterback. He doesn't doesn't have a real big arm he's not going to throw lasers into tight windows and he's not a great scrambler to buy time and then let a Julio Jones move around the end zone and then he'll throw a laser like an Aaron Rodgers or some other quarterback so I think that's led to some of the lackluster touchdown performances it's not Julio Jones I could tell you that but yes teams are putting a lot of attention to him all right my next one um, Christian McCaffrey I got to go CMC I mean Christian McCaffrey we haven't seen a whole lot of running backs like him in the history of the NFL. To be that threatening in the run game and pass game alike, he's like a receiver out of the backfield. He can run receiver routes from the slot position. And then, you know, for a guy that you and I have met many times, man, he's strong and powerful between the tackles, you know, can make people miss, can outrun you for 70-yard touchdowns. You know, he is the focal point for that Carolina Panthers offense, and there's really nothing he can't do. Uh he is in the conversation for the best running back in football. If you don't think he's the best, he's certainly one of the two or three best. I don't think that's debatable at this point. Christian McCaffrey, my second round pick. Yeah, and look, McCaffrey is the next guy up on this question of when you pay a running back a second time, are you paying too much? Are you going to regret it? Is he going to be able to continue? And early in his career, I felt like they weren't using him enough. And now I... Maybe they're using him too much. And and look, when you make him the eighth overall pick in the draft, you better be convinced he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. You better be convinced he's going to be able to carry the load. Otherwise, take somebody else and take your running back later, right? So they, they, they definitely needed to use him more than they were. But now I just worry, is the wear and tear going to catch up to him? And is this going to be, like so many other running backs, Chris, a limited shelf life? And I, I agree with you right now. He's, he's among the greatest players in the league. But how much longer is it going to last? Yeah, that's the big question. You're right, Mike. And I, hey, I would have a hard time paying any running back $15 million a year right now out of what we've seen from the last big contracts. You know, you start to talk Ezekiel Elliott, Devontae Freeman, 
Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, um, who else? I'm missing another Todd Gurley. I mean, that that would scare the crap out of me if I'm a GM in the NFL for sure. You know, something we realized last week when we did this for the AFC North, it applies to the NFC South as well. There are a lot of great players in the NFC South, and we haven't picked a quarterback yet. And look, Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. And Chris, I know you have misgivings about where he is right now. I think that when you look at the total person, when you look at what Tampa Bay is getting, the legacy of championship football, the attitude that is going to transform the locker room, the arm that is still very potent, the leadership qualities, the brain, everything, how can how, how can we let him make it to round three of this draft? He's Tom Brady, for crying out loud. So give me Brady for everything he's done and for whatever he has left uh, in the tank. I'm all in with Tom Brady. Oh, my gosh. What a horrible pick. All these great players in the division, you go with a guy that's not one of the top ten quarterbacks in football. You know, I love him. It's, it's, this is a career accomplishment draft. Yeah, he'd be the number one guy. But he's not one of the best players in this division right now. Is he the best jersey seller? Sure. Okay, yes. But I'm not ready to put him. I wouldn't. I'm not drafting him. And I ain't drafting any of the other quarterbacks either. There's better players at their position than these quarterbacks. I'm going to go. Ooh, I'm going to show some love to a big sexy. All right, a big sexy guy and Grady Jarrett. Defensive tackle, all right, for the Atlanta Falcons who – is one of the best at his position in all of football. And, of course, you saw the huge contract he got last year. But disruption, run, pass game, you know, kind of flies under the radar there in Atlanta for some reason. You know, but either way, this is a guy, Mike, I know you've heard me say it, that's in the conversation for the Aaron Donalds and Fletcher Cox and, and Akeem Hicks for one of the best interior defensive linemen in football. He can sack the quarterback. He can stop the run. He F, F up the play a whole lot. So I'm going to go with Grady Jarrett. I think he's one of the one of the better defensive players in all of football. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. And he, he waited and waited and got the contract that he deserves. Tough call, though, as to whether or not he's the best defensive lineman in the division. I think Cam Jordan has a case to be made. And I'm he torn here does. because I, I'm torn between Cam Jordan. I get the last pick so I can go ahead and engage in this in this uh, thinking out loud. I'm torn between Cam Jordan and Mike Evans. I feel like Mike Evans doesn't get nearly enough credit for what he has done in the NFL. He's a quiet guy. He plays for a team that's had a low profile. That's going to change this year. We're all going to get to know a lot more about Mike Evans. I'm going to go ahead and go with Mike Evans. Just, Just because Mike Evans has been one of the best receivers of the past generation. He doesn't go out and look for the notoriety. He better get ready for it because it's coming. He's had a 1,000-yard seasons in six NFL campaigns. He's never had less than 1,000 yards. Last year, 1157, 67 catches and eight touchdowns, part of that 5,109 yards that were distributed by Jameis Winston. And I think Evans is quickly going to develop into the favorite target of Tom Brady, kind of a combination of a Wes Welker and a Rob Gronkowski, right? Yeah, big I hear body, you. Big, big bodied, uh, so the catch radius is there, but also reliable. He's going to catch anything you throw in his direction, and I think we're going to see that Brady to Evans connection very, very often this year, Chris. Yeah, one of the most underrated players in all of the NFL. You said it. He's one of the most talented guys. 
hasn't got the notoriety because the Buccaneers haven't been, you know, under a, a national microscope. But man, 6'5", 230 pounds, runs a 4.37. You know, there's just not many made like that. He is special, Mike. So that's a good pick by you. All right, quick break. Todd Gurley says he's still that guy. Will the Falcons let him be that guy on his new team? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. In this week's Football Morning in America, Peter King goes team by team with some rumors for the first round of the draft. And he also gets a full tour of Falcons GM Thomas Dimitrov's draft setup at home. Check that out now at ProFootballTalk.com. Over the weekend at PFT, you probably saw some stories with quotes and other observations from Todd Gurley, the new Falcons running back, who still isn't officially a member of the Falcons because he hasn't taken a physical, Chris, he has to pass that physical. The knee is a concern. If he fails the physical, he may boomerang right back to the Rams and say, hey, you owe me another $10.5 million that was injury guaranteed. He says he's not worried about the physical. I expect him to say that. Do you think he should be concerned about the physical? Well, yes, I do. I mean, you know, just from the stuff that we know over the last few years, you know, the injury dating back to his time at Georgia when he was the running back there. You know, I'd be a little concerned, especially in the current climate where climate where we've seen, you know, some teams back out of their contracts and things like that. I would be a little scared, certainly. Yes. But, you know, I think ultimately this is a move that Atlanta knew the risk as far as the player they're looking at. And I'm, I would expect that they would expect to look at his knee and not think it's going to be perfect, that there is going to be some issues there. And they, I, I would feel that they've done their due diligence a little bit beforehand here uh, to feel somewhat comfortable about it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with that. And the Falcons plan to use him sparingly. He says he's still that guy. I think we just lost Chris. He says he's still that guy. Uh, the Falcons don't want him to be that guy. And I think they understand that if they make him that guy, he's not going to be healthy for very long. Another issue that came up, Todd Gurley no longer wearing number 30. He is switching to number 21. And Gurley was on radio in Atlanta on Saturday saying that Deion Sanders told him not to wear number 21. Now, Deion played for the Falcons for five seasons. Then he went to the 49ers, went to the Cowboys, went to Washington, retired, went to Baltimore. So it's not like he's a lifelong member of the Falcons. His number isn't retired. A bunch of guys have worn 21 since Sanders last played for the team in 1993. But according to Gurley, Sanders didn't want him to wear 21. And Sanders says he was joking about it. Chris, if Deion Sanders told you not to wear a number, what would you say? I would listen to Deion Sanders. <laughs> Deion Sanders is, he's an all-time great to me where I, you know, a little bit like we saw with Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay, right? With the Tom Brady situation. I would just go, man, this is Deion Sanders, one of the greatest of all time, maybe the greatest corner to ever play. I, I don't even want to be put in the same sentence as him. You know, and it is funny. I mean, you're right. There's a lot of other players that have worn this, but I guess this is maybe this is the most name notoriety type player to have worn it uh, to where it was said at first. But no, I would probably listen to Dion, and I wouldn't even welcome that. I would just find a new number. Maybe we finally figured out why you wore number two at Tampa Bay. You, you were paying homage to Dion's number at Florida State. He wore number two there. I he was. didn't tell you not I to wear number two. You, that was part of the reason. It was part of the reason. Dion Sanders at Florida State and Derek Jeter were a big reason I wore number two. 
Well, we've learned something new every day. When we return, we learned something very surprising on Easter Sunday 10 years ago. Donovan McNabb traded out of the blue from Philadelphia to Washington. We'll reflect on that trade when PFD Live continues right after this. I've got my sidecar here where I'll keep an ashtray, a cigar, a beverage. I got some awesome Kiss posters, if you see that. That's the first Kiss album, if you're not familiar with that. I've got like 12 to 15 of these Kiss coasters that have, they, they, they have, they have had plenty of wear and tear here at Rock and Roll Over. Awesome cover art, if you recall that album, or uh, if you've ever seen it before, or if you're young, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Yes! We had some fun down in the bar. We got to work on the quality of that video, though. That is a work in progress. Here's plenty of work that we're putting in today. Nine hours of football talk, PFT Live, 7 to 11 a.m. Eastern. New show, NBC Sports Football Flex, 11 a.m. Eastern. Then at noon, the second week of Lunch Talk Live with Mike Tirico, re-aired at 3 p.m. Eastern. And in between, the Rich Eisen Show, a two-month run beginning today, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. Check that out today. Nine hours, two down, seven to go, if my math is correct, and it rarely is. My math is correct on this. It's been 10 years since the Easter night trade that sent Donovan McNabb from the Eagles to Washington for a second-round pick, 37th overall, and a fourth-round pick the following year. Chris, I remember exactly where I was. That was one of those moments that burned into my brain. It was a nice Easter evening. I'm trying to relax, and i got to get the laptop out and write all these stories about the Eagles trading McNabb three days after Andy Reid said he's still the starting quarterback. Right, and then in the division. So you were like, what? They're going to trade him in the division? That was crazy altogether. But, hey, as we all know, that was a failed experiment. And, you know, just another one of those Washington Redskins dysfunctional type moves. And, Mike, my history on that, just to know, just a little inside tidbit, I, everything I know, the football decision makers were waiting for Mark Bulger to be released by the St. Louis Rams. And there was some deal about, hey, don't release him uh, yet because we're going to sign Donovan McNabb. And it kind of went over the Shanahan's head that way. So that was kind of messed up. Hey, just like the RG3 trade two years later. A little bit. Ownership right. makes these decisions. All right. I wonder we why have to it go. Didn't we'll work. see you Tuesday. Everybody have a great day. See ya.